through the book of Mark. We'll be in the first chapter and the first verse this morning. Uh, if you don't know where that is in your Bible, it should be about two-thirds of the way through. It's the second book in the New Testament. Uh, our text this morning is only that first verse, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Mark begins his gospel by saying, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Marley was dead to begin with. There's no doubt whatever about that. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four Privet Drive were proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. The first words of any story worth listening to matter. They matter a great deal. If Marley is not dead, remember he shows up later in the story as a ghost to talk to his business partner, uh, it wouldn't be that big a deal. It would just be a normal conversation between business partners. When you see a tale that's told from a long time ago in a galaxy that's far, far away, you have no idea what to expect. Anything can happen. The only thing that you're sure of is that this world will not look or feel anything like the one that you inhabit. The Dursley's normalcy matters because it's from that point that you are then introduced into a whole world, seven books worth of wizards and magic. Similarly, whenever Mark writes his gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as an account uh, of the life of Jesus, this beginning shows us in miniature form what the most important aspect of Mark's story is, or more accurately, who the most important person in Mark's story is. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. From just this one verse today, we can see three introductory truths from Mark's gospel. Three things that Mark wanted us to know from the very first sentence about what he was going to be writing. The first is this, that this is only the beginning. The first truth that we can see from Mark's gospel in verse 1 is that this is only the beginning. Yes, obviously, this is the beginning of Mark's gospel. It's the first words that he wrote down. But he begins with a clear statement that gets straight to the point. Matthew, whenever he starts his gospel, he starts with a list of names. He starts with the genealogy, showing uh, the line of Jesus all the way back. Luke, whenever he starts his gospel, he starts with an explanation of how he put the book together, how he did his research, how he arrived at the place that he was going to be able to, to write down the gospel he had before him. Mark's first word is beginning. Boom, right into it, straight to the point. John actually starts the same way, but John's opening is not the beginning of the life of Jesus. It's the beginning of a defense of Jesus' divinity, showing that he's God from the beginning. Mark just goes. As you'll see, not only today, but also next week and throughout the gospel, it kind of feels like you started with Mark in the midway through a sentence. That there was already a conversation going, and he just said, beginning with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he just goes. He goes straight to the point, continues, like a stream of thought. All this illustrates how Mark writes. He moves from story to story, from place to place, as fast as he can. In Mark's gospel, Jesus is active. What he does is meant to reveal who he is. So what he does is what Mark focuses on. There's no genealogy. There's no birth narrative. It just feels like you caught a mid-sentence. The, the whole focus is on what Jesus, the God-man, is actually doing in the narrative. And Mark starts this way as maybe the first New Testament book that was ever written down. He starts by saying the beginning. He's echoing the start of the New Testament. What was the start of the Old Testament? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Mark's trying to form a connection in your mind between what God did in the Old Testament and what Jesus is doing now in the New Testament. That there is a connection there, that the same God which worked in the Old Testament is the same God that is working in the New Testament. But this is fundamentally a different period. Something has happened, something has changed. With Christ coming, there is a new era that's begun. So though it follows from and is connected to the old, it is something new. Mark's trying to convey all of that just in his beginning. So this is the beginning of Mark's gospel. But if I could just take a step back this morning, this is also the beginning of what you are going to hear. This right now is my first church, or it's my first Sunday uh, as your pastor. What you are going to hear today is the same thing you are going to hear every single week. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Every week. There will not be a Sunday that I stand behind this pulpit and tell you anything else. That I preach from any other book. That I try to proclaim to you any other person. You're going to hear about Jesus, who he is and what he's done every single week. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is my plan to preach to you the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is my message to you today and every day that I step behind this pulpit. Until I am called elsewhere, you fire me, or I get hit by a bus on my way here. I am going to preach to you the gospel every single week. We don't move on from the gospel. We press into it. This last week, I uh, saw an advertisement on Facebook from a church that None of us would have a problem with. We would say it's a very good church. Anyone in this room could go there, and I wouldn't have a single problem with you going there. Uh, but they were advertising their next sermon series, and the way that they advertised it was by saying uh, that this series is exploring how faithfulness brings us from depending on God's mercy and grace and into living in his favor in all areas of life. That they're trying to go beyond the mercy and grace of God as seeing that as an introduction. But now that we have that, now we can go on to this other stuff. Now we can get to the favor of God. Now we can get to how you can live a perfect life. You will not hear any series like that from me. May it never be said of this church that we are moving on from depending on God's mercy and grace to try to find some other favor. The gospel, God's mercy and grace to you is his favor. It is shown to you in the person of Christ and is given to you as his mercy and grace toward you. That's the favor of God. There is no greater favor. Anything else pales in comparison. We are going to stand in this gospel by which we are being saved until our hope is made sight. It is my plan to preach to you the gospel. And I'm going to do that by preaching to you the Bible. I plan to preach the gospel to you from the Bible before you every week. Yeah, this week, I, I'm only doing one verse, so I'm filling in a lot of gaps here. But most weeks, I won't have to do that. You will see in the text what I am saying to you every single time. My point is always going to be from the text, because the text has the truth, and I only have access to the truth through the text. You're going to hear the gospel through the Bible every week. It's my plan to do that. It's my plan to preach Christ to you in the Bible every week. It won't be enough merely to preach the Bible to talk about something else, or merely to preach a poorly defined gospel that could mean whatever we want it to mean. I plan to preach to you Christ, who is the gospel to you, from the Bible before you, every week. Charles Spurgeon said, if a man can preach one sermon without mentioning Christ's name, it ought to be his last. 
on the day that I preach my last one, I pray it is not for that reason. I won't allow that to happen. So this is the beginning of what you will hear through Mark's gospel, through my time as your pastor. But it's also, I think, the beginning of who we'll be. This verse shows us a glimpse into not only how I will be preaching to you, but I think it also shows who God will make us into through his word, week in, week out, in the gospel of Mark. God is going to make us a people of that gospel. We're going to hear the gospel as directly as possible. I'm preaching to you the gospel of Mark. It would be impossible for me to give you a message, something other than the gospel. I'm showing you Christ every week. If all I did was show up, read the text, and then leave, I might get fired, but I preached to you the gospel. You're going to see it every single week. I don't have to draw a connection that you may not see between the text and the gospel of Christ because the gospel of Christ is the text. You'll see him displayed in every sermon, not because I'm any good at this or not because I know what I'm doing or not because I'm anything special, but because when you read the text, you will see Christ in it. And I believe with all that is within me that God is going to use Mark's gospel to form us into a people of the gospel. That we're people marked by the gospel. He's going to do that by making us people of the Bible. Again, the, the gospel I'll be proclaiming to you every week isn't some poorly defined gospel that's floating out there somewhere. It's either above, behind, underneath, somewhere around the text. The gospel will be in the text of the Bible. We're going to be a people of the gospel because I think God is going to make us a people of the Bible. When I was talking uh, to a friend of mine at work before I moved down here to, to be the pastor here, he asked me what I was going to preach through. And I said, Mark. And he said, the whole thing? As if like halfway through I'd get bored and just say, and Jesus rose from the dead, whatever. <laughs> I said, yeah, the whole thing. It's all there. You have to see Jesus first. If I came to you and talked to you about anything else, how to live a good life, how to be a good parent, how to... How uh, for us to be a good church, any of those things wouldn't make sense if not for Christ. You've got to see him. And you've got to see him every week. You've got to see the fullness of who he is. And whenever I talked to him about that, he said, well, I guess that's good. The, your people will really know the gospel of Mark. And I just thought, oh, that would be so great. <laughs> if by the end of this, you guys knew the gospel of Mark, that's huge. To really know the text, to really know the gospel, to really know who Christ is in the text, who he's revealed himself to be, that's enormous. That's life-changing. Oh, I would love if we became a people of the Bible, if God made us into a people of the gospel through the Bible in his series. And I think in the midst of this, God is going to make us a people who are like Christ. In him making us a, a people marked by his gospel, in him making us a people marked by his scriptures, I think he's going to make us a people who are actually like Christ. And that's the goal. We want to be like he is. A recurring theme in Mark's gospel is discipleship, that Jesus is actively looking for followers who will deny themselves and be like he is. And I hope and pray that the people in this room look more like Christ at the end of this time, at the end of this series in Mark, than we do right now at this, the beginning. So Mark is telling us this is only the beginning of what he's saying, and I'm telling you this is only the beginning of what I'm saying. Mark will show us that, but Mark will also show us the gospel. That's, that's the point, right? That's what we're doing here. He said the beginning of 
the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That that is his primary focus in everything that he's writing is the gospel. He's trying to say this is the good news of who Christ is and what he's done. I said before that that word can't be some ill-defined idea that's just kind of floating out there. That has to be firmly planted in who we are and found in the text of Scripture through the person of Jesus Christ. What that word literally means in the original Greek text is good news, good tidings, good message. It's a proclamation with divine authority that should be heralded to everyone around us. That gospel is who Christ is and what he has done. That's the message. That's the proclamation that we're going to hear every week. So something has happened. Something's changed. You can't just walk in with a message without any sort of change that's happened behind the message. That's not a message. You're just talking. Whenever you bring good tidings, whenever you bring good news, something has happened. That's the implication from the word. And for Mark, that something is that Jesus Christ came. He came in the flesh. He lived a sinless life. He died a sacrificial death in the place of sinful man, in the place of you and in the place of me. And he's risen from the dead, defeating death and sin. That's the gospel. Who Christ is, what he's done. Mark is way more about Christ's works than Christ's words. We're going to see that through his actions every week. So something has happened. Christ has come. But that's not just news. It is good news. That news is something that is good for you. What you hear when you listen to scripture is not a message only of fear or only of judgment or only of God's holiness. It is a message of salvation through judgment. That he has come so that sinful people might be saved rather than burned when they see him. That's the good news. That's what makes it good. Christ's coming apart from the goodness of the news would be very scary for us. But because of who he is and what he's done for us, it has become very good news for us. He's come to give us life, not only life, but life to the fullest. Not only is it good generally, but it is good for you. Mark is going to show us the gospel, the good news. He's going to do that by showing us the good God. Not just the good news of what Christ has done, but the good God, who Christ is. The one who has accomplished this gospel is God. It is he who has done it. He's the one who's done something changed. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is his gospel. It is his good news. It is his joyful tidings you are hearing, and he's the one who has accomplished this work because you couldn't do it. You couldn't earn your salvation. You couldn't live a perfect life. You couldn't die in anyone's place, not even your own, to be able to earn some sort of salvation on the other side of it. He's done the work so that you don't have to because you couldn't have done it. The one who's accomplished this gospel is God, but the one who's accomplished this gospel is also good. It's a God-sized work that had to be done. He shows himself to be God in the work that he did, but he shows himself to be good by the end result of that work. He shows himself to be good in ushering his kingdom by calling sinners to repentance. He shows us a good God in his gospel. But Mark also shows us a good life. He does show us good news. He does show us the good God. But he shows us how to live a good life. 
And he defines that very differently than the way that you or I might on the top of our head. We might think good life, good money, good family, good job, good house. None of those things make Mark's list. He says a good life is a life that's like Christ. That theme of discipleship runs throughout the entire book of Mark's gospel. He says over and over, follow me, follow Christ, be like he is, live like he lives. There's no mention of some other blessing on the other side of that. There's no mention of some other money, some other fame, some other power, some other sex, some other anything on the other end of it. All you have is a life like Christ lived. And the life that Christ lived was not one that most of us would naturally sign up for. Mark completely redefines what we think of as the good life. He defines it as one that is found and marked by following Christ and who he is. This kind of life is upheld as the only one that might lead to the kingdom of God. Mark says the good life is a life that's like Christ, but it's a life that's lived in light of his work. He wants us not only to live like Christ does, but to live in light of what he has already done. By that I mean you're not going to get a long list of commands of what you should do in Mark. That's not his point. His point is what Christ has done, not what you should do. So he's going to tell you over and over, this is what Christ did. Then he did this. Then he went here. Then this is the work that he accomplished. This is the message he proclaimed. There's very little in this text where there's ever someone saying, now you must do X. Those naturally flow from the text. It doesn't mean that we are free to do whatever we want. But the point isn't for us to do. The point is what Christ has done. There isn't a new law to follow in Mark's gospel, but there is a new man to follow. And that man is Christ. That's why Mark focuses so much on the acts of Jesus rather than the commands of Jesus. He wants us to see what Christ has done and to live accordingly, not to hear what Christ has commanded and try to burden ourselves to reach that standard. He's already done the work. He's already accomplished the goal. He has already shown his grace and mercy toward us in saving us from what we were already trying to do on our own. That's the gospel. Mark will show us the good news of this gospel. But Mark will also show us the nature of Jesus. That's the, the third introductory truth that we can see from this text. That Mark's going to show us who Jesus is, who Christ is. He's going to show us over and over the gospel of God found in the person of Jesus Christ, the God-man. That he was actually a man. He came in the flesh. He was a real man, a real human. The God of the universe came in a human flesh that was just like yours, except without sin. We'll see him eat. We'll see him drink. We'll see him sleep. We'll see him spit. We'll see him walk on water. But walk, he didn't float. We'll see him bleed. We'll see the God of the universe in human flesh die. Christ is the Son of God in human flesh. He is an actual man who lived a real life. We'll see a record of this life that's meticulously written by Mark under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and preserved from roughly 60 AD until today. 2,000 years that this text has made to get into your seat, into your book right in front of you. We'll see a real life that Christ actually lived. And you can trust every word in this gospel is actually really true. 
And when you actually accept that, when you come to the text expecting to read something that is true, it's going to change how you read it. It's going to make you think that this might actually have some bearing on the truth for you. It's going to make the story come to life and change you by that truth. Christ is an actual man, but he came as a servant man. His perfection, his godness in the flesh does not lead to some earthly exaltation in his first coming in the Gospel of Mark. He doesn't live a life of ease. He doesn't live a life of comfort where people serve his every desire out of awe in his perfection. What Mark shows us is that he is the servant man over and over, that he came to serve. The life of discipleship that Mark shows us is modeled in Christ who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. Paul picks up the same theme in Philippians 2 when he says that Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held onto, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of sinful, and born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. His whole appearance in the flesh, the, the actual fact that he appeared in the flesh is an act of service. The fact that he appeared in the flesh and lived the life that he lived is an additional act of service. The fact that he appeared in the flesh, lived the life that he lived, and it ended in death is an act of service. The fact that he lived the life he lived, came in the flesh, and died on a cross is another act of service. His entire life is marked by service toward you. With the end goal of his own glorification, with the end goal of his own exaltation. But Christ came to die for sinners. He came to pay the ransom for you and for me. He came to save. That's the point of his service. A life of mere service, whatever that might mean, would actually save no one. You don't get to go to heaven because Mother Teresa was great. Or maybe not, I don't know. But you do get to go to heaven because Christ is great. Because Christ did the work. Because Christ accomplished what he needed to do. Because Christ came to save. Service alone would not save. But Christ, the servant man, does save. Mark 9.1 says that those who follow him are so saved, they won't even taste death. That they're passing from this life into paradise in the presence of the Father is so complete, so fast, that death never, never even enters their mouth. Christ came to serve and to save because he is the Christ man. All of this makes Jesus the Christ. Okay, Christ is a title. It's not Jesus' last name. Jesus was not sat in elementary school between Julius Caesar and Bozo the Clown. He was Jesus, and he became the Christ. Hey, those are all titles. Bozo was the clown, bar none. Jesus is the Christ. No competition. He's the Messiah. He's the one foretold in the Old Testament, the chosen one of God who would usher in his kingdom among his people. It's a title that Christ had, but it's not just a title that's handed out. It's an earned title. It's not knighthood in uh, England, where if you sing a song that's pretty good, they'll just hand it to you. It's an earned title. There's only one Christ. Though he is the Christ in his being, he earned that title by his obedience unto death while in the flesh. 
If he would have come and not accomplished the work that he came to accomplish, he would not be the Christ, but he did, so he is. Jesus is the Christ. He accomplished what had to be and could only be done by the Christ, so that's who he is. And that actual perfect servant, Christ man, is who Mark's gospel shows Jesus to be. So Mark will show you Jesus, the Christ man. But Mark will also show you Jesus as the God-man. Lest we overemphasize the humanity of Jesus here in this first verse, Mark includes another title at the end of Jesus, which reveals him to be more than merely a man. It shows him to be the Son of God, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is God. The Father is God, the Spirit is God, Jesus is God. There is one God in three persons. That's the Trinity that we worship. Mark's Gospel will show that this man is not only a man, but he is both God and man. He is God, but he is in the flesh. The, this truth is something that we'll have to work out over and over throughout the text. There will be things that we see that don't seem to make sense. It doesn't seem like something that God would do. That doesn't seem to be something that, if he's a man, that he'd be able to do. But he is both God and man. So the interplay between those two natures within Christ, in his incarnation, are something that we will have to work out throughout the text. But there's something that we can know are both true at the same time. The church has been wrestling with this same truth over the centuries, trying to figure out what is the fullness of what this means. And we haven't been able to plumb the depths of it yet. But the best definition we've ever gotten is from a church council thousands of years ago in Chalcedon. It said that Christ is truly God and truly man. He is perfect in Godhood and the same perfect in manhood. He is like us in all things except for sin. He has two natures. Those natures come without confusion, without change, without division, or without separation. The differences between the natures are not taken away by Christ having both of them, but their distinctions are preserved and combined in this one person of Christ, this one divine person of Christ. He is Jesus Christ, man, the Son of God, God. He is both God and man, all the way through, completely and truly. And Mark will show us this week in and week out. So this, this week, today, is only the beginning. Mark's gospel has much to show us about who we are. Yes, you will learn how to live. You will learn how to think. You will learn how to be. You will learn who you are. But the point of the text primarily is who Christ is, how Christ lived, what he did. Though it was written by Mark, it is still Christ's gospel. So every week, what you can do is you can come with the expectation that you will see Christ in the text. You can come with the expectation that you will see him as he truly is, both God and man. He is the real, perfect servant Christ. You can come each week with the hope that you will hear the gospel through this book, that you will see him in the text. You can come so that you will know the perfect and holy Son of God came in the flesh not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, and that you can be included in that number. 
It is my prayer for this church that if you are sitting in this room right now and you are not yet a follower of Christ, you will be by the time this series is done. Even better, you can be one by the time this sermon is done. You can do that today. You can start following him today. You can see and hear and know the gospel today, found in the person of Christ. It's my hope, it's my prayer that everyone in this room will be able to say that that is true of them. If not today, then as soon as possible. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for the truth that we've seen in your text. Yes, this is only one verse. Yes, this is only the beginning. But what we can already see in your word is that there is a gospel. That gospel is found in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is God. Let us trust the finished work that he has done in his incarnation. Let us trust the work that he has already done for us that might be applied to us. Let's put our hope, faith, and trust in your gospel so that we might be able to live like you lived, so that we might be able to glorify you and to enjoy you for forever, and that we might be able to bring everyone around us on this same journey into forever toward you with us. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this text, and thank you for this truth. In Jesus' name, amen.